I'm 62 next week. I'm glad to be here. Mm. Happy to be here. Hope to be around for a while. But there's too many old white men in charge of this sport. We need to have a new generation of people. And it's not it's, it's not so much of it that it's an age thing. We need people who have a new vision for what multi-sport will be. And that's the voice of a guy who has been a visionary in the sport for over a quarter of a century. If you've ever completed a triathlon, chances are you owe this guy a debt of gratitude. He's the guy responsible for the triathlon wetsuit. And that tri-bike you're riding? Well, he designed the first one back in 1989. Today, when he's not riding his gravel bike, he's doing product testing, making coffee for his wife, making love to his hokas, serving as president of Triathlon Business International, moderating discussion forums on his Slow Twitch website, and imagining what the sport of triathlon could become. Here's Triathlon Hall of Famer, Dan Enfield. And welcome to another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines, um, on location from Bob's Gap Road near... Now, how do we say the name of your uh, community, Valermo? Yeah, it's called Valermo. Valermo. And uh, no one's ever heard of it. There's people that live 10 minutes from here that have never heard of it. So uh, there's there's we have one one-room post office. Uh, and that's it. That's downtown. Uh huh. And it is on the map. I've seen it. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you gotta you gotta fill the map up with something. <laughs> so that's us. Dan, what role growing up as a kid? What was the Emfield household like? Uh, well, I was an only child for ten years, and and before my brother came along, and so um, uh, I was. I grew up in uh, Huntington Beach, California, for the first. 15 years of my life. And so, what were your folks doing there? Oh, just, you know, typical middle class, yeah. you know, um, just, uh, you know, a typical middle class Republican household. Um, I didn't exactly end up uh, entirely that way, but, uh, but that, it was just suburbia, you know, it was just post war suburbia, you know. I'm, I'm 60, I'm 62 next week. So, so I grew up uh, during the 1960s. Um, I was a little bit too young to really appreciate the 60s, which I regret. Um, I wish I could have been a more fully formed person back then uh, so so I could appreciate what was really a consequential decade. So you say that, what, what, why would the 60s be any different in your opinion? Uh, you know, 60s, the 60s were, were, were a reactionary decade. You know, nowadays we talk in terms of you know, we use terms like disruption. Uh, we use it more in an industrial sense. You know, industri- in, in you know disruption in uh, in you know tech uh, or uh, in manufacturing. Um, but but the '60s were like that. You know, it was a decade of disruption, political disruption, cultural disruption, um, and so uh, you know we had we this you know we had this this moment. You know, this post-war moment. Of growth and stability and normalcy, suburbia and conformity. Um, you know, we we put away our army uniforms and we put on gray flannel suits and wingtips, and so that was it, right? And so my folks uh, and I didn't, I couldn't appreciate this at the time, but my that was my folks' reality. And yet, you know, here's the summer of love and and civil rights legislation and riots uh, in your neighborhood. 
Well, in Southern California, certainly. Okay. Um, was that? Would you consider that your neighborhood? Because well, I was in, a difference of fifteen or twenty miles oh, can yeah. be a universe. No, I was I was in South Orange County. I was cosseted in uh, in a in an enclave of 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 safety and conformity and and conservatism, and so I didn't see it, but I saw it on the TV. You know, the older I got, the more I I just wonder what all that was about because I saw it, but I didn't understand it. Um, I think as you get older, you 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 just never stop. Your your world never stays the same size unless you make it stay the same size. Uh, Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, I think it's good. I, my world had my world continues to get bigger. The the bigger your world gets, the smaller you are in it, and the more you rec- and the more humility you you end up with, because you realize that there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't know. You're you're finding out there's more you know there's more stuff in the universe than you thought there was. You know when when you're six months old, you don't really recognize anything outside yourself. You know the older you get, the bigger the world gets. So as I got older, the world got bigger, and then I started to look back at some of of the the size of the world um, that I never got a chance to see. You know, so for example, uh, I mean, how does that relate today? Uh, if you're an American. And you follow modern culture and, and modern sport at all, you know who Colin Kaepernick is. He's a he's an American football player during the national anthem took a knee. He's the knee guy. Oh, okay. He's the knee yeah. guy, right? So you can you can think what you want about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and everything that, that is that is freighted with that. Um, but we had that in the nineteen sixties. We had Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising their black gloved fists on the awards dace at the Mexico City Mexico Olympics City, yeah. in 1968. Uh, and we had Muhammad Ali, the conscientious objector, right? Uh, we can see some of what happens today through the prism of what happened then. And we can see the arc of history. We can see the arc of culture. We can see the arc of, uh, of civil rights. And, uh, and so as... Uh, as I contemplate a lot of a lot of these things today in modern culture, I, I, I realize that there's a lot of what's going on now that resonated in the in the 60s, turbulent times then and now. So this this notion of uh, uh, you know face Facebook's original what was their original motto? Uh, uh, move fast and break things. Right? <laughs> uh, we're moving fast and we're breaking things in modern culture. Today and we moved fast and we broke things in the '60s compared to to the '50s. Yeah, yeah you know, I so I go back and and I look at the '60s and I I'm re, I, I sort of reminisce for 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 an era that I went through, mm. but that it, but I didn't really understand it because my world wasn't big enough yeah. back then. So now you half a century later, you get a chance to kind of revisit it in a yes. different sort of context. Yes. So you moved from Huntington Beach down to, or I should well, say, way the heck up to Tahoe? Yes, I did. Uh, my folks moved, uh, my mother, uh, my mother was divorced, and so she moved my brother and I up to Tahoe when I was 15. And that was that was horrible for about a month, uh, because nobody likes to be uprooted. And, you know, I have my, my friends and my whole scene down there. Uh, I was a runner by then. Uh, I'd been a runner for a couple of years, and I, running, and I had found each other. When you're young, that's your it's still my identity. So, uh, so you're hearing this Dan Enfield at the core runner guy. Oh, yeah, runner. You when they autopsy me, they'll find, <laughs> they'll find runner in there. Okay, um, but um, Tahoe exposed me to the mountains. 
And so, and I've been a mountain guy since. So what does that mean, mountain guy? Well, it means that uh, if there if there isn't if there isn't big mountains, and if the mountains don't contain big conifer trees with a lot of elevation and a lot of granite and stuff like that, uh, then I'm ultimately not happy. Okay, okay. I, I can't. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah, that's where I got to live. Yeah. I don't okay. if I don't live there. If the mountains don't go to at least say nine thousand feet. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it ain't worth living in. How how close do those mountains have to be? Like in the in the horizon, on at the base of them. If or? I can't get in a bike and be at the top, <laughs> oh, uh, before I run out of glycogen, okay, I'm not close enough. <laughs> okay, yeah. So off to Tahoe you went, and you were exposed to a few new sports there. Well, I was a I, I became a Nordic skier, uh, and then all of a sudden, running, uh, and I parted for four years because of injury. Uh, and so I became uh, exclusively a Nordic ski racer, and I started racing bicycles just as a summer activity to complement Nordic ski racing. And no, so, no, I, I got to ask you this: so, you're, I mean, I'm talking with the inventor of the triathlon bicycle. What was that first bike that you raced on? Oh, uh, it was a Raleigh International. And then, as 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 is the case with many of us, you just give your you give your your legs time to heal and you do some other things that perhaps, you know, help you fix whatever it was that ailed you. And all of a sudden I found I was able to run again. And that's when the Ironman came along. Uh, I was told about the Ironman in 1980 and I didn't believe it. Uh, well, you must mean they do it over three days. Nope. Nope. Start to finish. No, that's not possible. That's not humanly possible. Human body can't do that. But to even compliment, uh, contemplate doing such a thing, even even to show a remote interest, you must have had perhaps a bit of background in, in swimming as well, right? Well, you know, growing up in Huntington Beach, I, was, I spent my summers on the beach, and I was involved in a lot of lifeguard competitions and stuff like that. So swimmer by birth or by training? Yeah, well, just swimmer by proximity, really. Okay. And so, uh, so I was never a competitive swimmer, except in ocean swimming. But I was never very good, because unless you are a competitive swimmer in the pool... I mean, you you can't you, you can't just be an ocean you can't just be an ocean swimmer in the summer and ever be very good. You can learn how to not drown. You can learn how to negotiate the surf, but you can't be you know you can't have a lot of speed. But I was you know, but that was enough, right? Uh, triathlon typically takes place in open water, so you know I was I was good enough to be better than people that didn't have that background. My first multi-sport events uh, were up in the mountains in 1970, I don't know, 7, 1978. So you're using that term multi-sport already. So at the time, I yeah. mean, it's a great term because it can mean anything we choose it to be, right. uh, kayaking. Yeah. But uh, right. what did multi-sport mean in 77? Well, for me then, it meant uh, Nordic skiing, running, and cycling. That's, that's the first multi-sport race I did. And there weren't any, there wasn't any Ironman, you know, there wasn't any, but that appealed to me. And really for me, uh, you know, and I talk like this and everyone's eyes glaze over, but for me, there's where I want to be. There's stuff in the way and I want to use skill and tech to get through the stuff that's in the way. So what stuff might be in the way? A mountain might be in the way. A lake might be in the way. A river might be in the way. You know, dirt, pavement, gravel, all that stuff might be in the way. So the whole idea of, of getting from one place to the other. But that also involves a certain degree of, uh, I don't know if it's knowledge or knack for uh, orienteering, figuring yourself out in the bush or in the middle of nowhere where all directions are pointing north 
Yeah, I'd be, must have had some of that going. To me, the the event has to be organic. What's that mean? It, it, it not contrived. Um, and so I always struggle with now. For example, let's take running. You know, if you run around a four hundred meter track, that's a contrived running race. If you do a road race, uh, especially one that's 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 described or circumscribed by the geography, like you're running up to the top of a mountain or something, that's more organic. You're actually now. I don't. I was a track. I love track and field. I love track. So in a way, you might say that swimming in a pool is contrived. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, there's always a push-pull between contrived and, and organic. However, uh, if, you, if you're out somewhere in nature and the geography is screaming that there's an organic course out there, force it into a contrivance. Yes. That's a sin against the sport, <laughs> right? But the bike has to be 40 kilometers long. Exactly. It's got to be. Exactly, right. Hey, we're looking. We're watching our splits. If this doesn't conform, we'll find a race that does. Right, exactly. You know, if if the mountain is, you know, 41K around it, but you stop just before halfway, turn around, come back, because it's got to be 40K... Then you know, to me, it's like, well, I mean, uh, that that's my idea of favoring, of defaulting to a contrived course, yeah. and not doing the course that is naturally out yeah, there, honoring what Mother Nature's right. laid out for us. Exactly. Well, yeah, there's so many yeah. opportunities for that. So you were talking about your uh, introduction to this Ironman thing. Um, had you done any triathlons prior to that? And so this is going back to '81. Yeah, so uh, back then the Ironman was in February. Um, on the Big Island? Uh, not when I had heard about it. Okay. Um, when I raced it in February of 81, that was the first time it was on the Big Island. Hmm. I did a race in 1980, but it was because I had found a race down in, I mean, I was living in Reno, Nevada at the time. Uh, I went to college there. You know, after my folks or my mother, um, after we moved to Lake Tahoe, then Reno was the, uh, you know, was the local college. So uh 60 miles away so so i i just i spent most of the next 10 years in the reno tahoe area Uh, going to college getting a degree oh yeah all that but uh, all that (laughs) there was a there was a race before the iron man a few months before the iron man down down in southern california i was kind of back and forth a little bit uh and there was a race in newport beach in 1980 that was my first swim bike run triathlon although actually it was Bike, run, swim. Bike, run, swim. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it's, sound safe. Well, no, no. Uh, it was. It was. <laughs> I don't. I used to worry more about to that. To a swimmer. <laughs> I, 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 I used to worry about that stuff. I don't worry about that stuff so much anymore. Uh, but I, so that was my first race that involved those three activities. And then I did the Ironman. Uh, but the, and the Ironman, boy, what a life-changing thing that was. That, that changed, that, the Ironman, when I did the Ironman, that changed the whole arc of my life. How so? Uh, I was I was living in Reno. I did that race. I think that race is February sixth, nineteen eighty one, and I put on my first triathlon in August of nineteen eighty one. So that took you six months yeah. to go from athlete to race director. Yeah, and it, and it was really because it was the biblical story of you know it was like the book of Acts where you know this this big event in history happens, this this you know monumental event happens, and then if you're an apostle. You, you immediately run out and tell everybody. Spread the right? word. Yeah, spread yeah. the word. And, and you were... And all of us were like that, mm-hmm. right? But all 25? How many was oh, there no, at no, that no. time? That, that time there, was, 
1980, the last year it was on Oahu, there was a, about 100 finishers. Okay. And then the year I did it, there was 300 finishers. Okay, that's a, a sizable field then. I mean, it's not yeah. as grassroots as some, I suppose, myself would have thought of. So 300 yeah. people going out into the masses, right? Yeah. Primarily or exclusively American at that time. Mostly American. Yeah. Um, now, uh, but see, this is why, this is why I don't have a lot of patience for, uh, for people who say, well, you know, like I talk about, uh, hey, we need to do some different things. We need to, you know, you can't, you cannot both complain that things are getting a little long in the tooth, that you're bored by doing the same race. You can't complain about that and then also be afraid to try new races uh, or be afraid to try to produce new races. And so um, I raced my first gravel bike triathlon last year in Michigan. And when I talk to race directors, they say, well, you know, gravel racers don't swim and run, and triathletes don't have gravel. And I say, look, I was 24 years old. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Doing what? Oh, I was managing a Nautilus fitness center, I think, or chain of fitness centers or something like that. Uh, but, you know, I was. I went back, you know, you can, in, in the United States, you can uh, go online and to the Social Security Administration, and they have records of how much you made. Every year uh, for this, you know, to check how much money you put into your Social Security, you know, it's so that when your retirement and all that. And I, ch- I went back a few weeks ago and checked. I made $9,707 in 1981. 81. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how much money I make. Right? <laughs> and I put this race on and I was 24. And I don't want to hear about, well, bikers don't swim. Because in 1981, mm-hmm. in August, in Reno, no one knew what a triathlon was. No one knew what the Ironman was. Uh, no one was training in all three sports. No one, aside from me. Uh, Local lunatics well, starts race. Yeah. So, <laughs> and yet, I don't know. I had 180 people, or however many came out. Decent, hey. And so, if you put on an interesting event, do not sell humanity short. If you put on an interesting event, people will do it. Um, if you put on a boring event, then only boring people will do it. <laughs> yeah, so, but that's it. So I put on my first race in August. Uh, and, and the way that it, it, obviously it changed the arc of my life because yeah, that's what I've been doing for a living since, you know, most of that time. I mean, I, I kind of fell apart, I fell off of the triathlon scene because I was training for the 82 Ironman and, and this was in the pre-helmet days of bike racing. And I fell or got, I don't know if I fell or got hit or what happened because I just woke up in the hospital. Oh. Um, you know, some half a day later. Mm. Uh, and I had taken a, a whack to my noggin. Um, and that knocked me out of the of the 82 race. And then I sort of, you know, went off. And, but then I came back to triathlon in 85 or 6. So in the years between, you were just... Doing your thing, well, working. You know, yeah, you, it's a, at some point, you know, you got to make a living. You got to figure out what you're going to do. And so I moved back to Southern California, not because I wanted to leave the mountains, but I just didn't have any, there wasn't any opportunity. I mean, I was, it was dead ended for me up there. Okay. And so I messed around in a few different things. I still, you know, I was, I was running. I was, you know, I did a triathlon now and then, but not much. Mostly I was just running. We, we then, will often say that just running, right? <laughs> well, 
But I then I started back up in 85 or 86. I started back up in a triathlon. Uh, so I, I probably had three years where I was I was cycling. I was, you know, I I would do I would take my bike to Mexico and and ride, you know, for a week through Mexico or climb some volcano down there. And uh, I was involved with, you know, sort of my own uh, one-man multi-sport activities where I'd be cycling and running. Up so step. logistical planning was no uh, was no stranger to you. You kind of yeah. had things figured and continue to to this day. Well, you know, it's really easy to figure out. It's really easy to produce a triathlon for just yourself. <laughs> Don't need any permits for that. You know, I'm always looking, always looking for events. One of the great things that's happened in my life, one of the great pieces of tech is Google Earth. Cruise around. Oh, there's water. I could swim right there. Wow. Is there a road? Uh, is there a mountain? Is there... What is there? And I mean, literally, I, I, I'm I down in Mexico. I'm, I mean, not literally. I'm in Kazakhstan. I'm all <laughs> over the place with Google Earth. Yeah. Hey, you know, I found this course. This is a great course. Look at it, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that the whole thing was at 15,000 feet, including the lake. Mm. Okay, well, maybe not. I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still a course hunter, uh, whether it's for a race or whether I just am going to take my bike and go there and just do it myself. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about, um, obviously, you've achieved a lot, not only athletically, uh, professionally. uh, You've done a lot of good in the past two weeks. With uh, the reversal of the ITU flag, that was a, a wonderful thing. You well, did I don't the, know that the, I did that. Was I, the, well, I, so you've been credited for doing. I, for the listeners who haven't heard, um, what was it about two weeks ago? The ITU said they were going to put a ban on all sorts of uh, flags at the finish line. Well, what they it, said was they. Here's what they. Here's what they did is there's always been this prohibition of political demonstration at their races. In other words, you can't, you know, right as you're crossing the finish line, you can't stop and give a speech about, you know, how there should be a wealth tax on everyone or whatever the case Mm. is, right? Or, you know, we should uh, boycott, you know, Walmart or whatever. You can't do that at their races. And so if it's political, if it's religious, it's whatever it is, you cannot do it. That's not, you can't do that at an ITU race. That's not what it's for. So what they did was they slipped in, you know, in right next, in between political and religious, they yeah. put sexual orientation. orientation yeah. right. The issue with that is that number one, I could find one case of one guy, one time crossing the finish line with a rainbow flag in Leeds ITU last year in the 2024 and so it seemed to me, number one, to be a rule, a solution looking for a problem. <laughs> we did not have this as a problem. Number two is what you, what you find there in the rule is uh, no religious demonstrations, no, uh, no or propaganda. Actually, it has the word propaganda. Yeah. No religious propaganda in the race. But what, what we don't find is any prohibition against uh, gender propaganda, physical disability propaganda. Why? Because the ITU has correctly championed gender equality. So if someone wants to, you know, as they're crossing the finish line, you know, yay for women's, you know, yay women's equality. The ITU is not going to do anything about that. Rightly so, because the ITU has been a champion of women and challenged athletes' inclusion in sport. Let's not 
go out of our way to make uh, other under, underrepresented groups feel unwelcome. Especially since we don't have a big problem right now with people propagandizing about uh, sexual orientation equality or disinclusion or disenfranchisement. We don't have that. We have the opposite. We don't have enough of that in <laughs> triathlon. We don't have enough people that are talking enough mm. about the inclusion. Um, well, let's put it, let me put it another way. We have people talking about inclusion. We have white, straight, old white, straight guys talking about inclusion. We don't have folks that are in those underrepresented cohorts talking about it themselves. Themselves. Yeah, I'm the right. old, middle-aged white yeah. guys are advocating for them from a position right. of, of comfort and confidence and security. Yeah. In other words, I don't want to be the guy mm. who is saying, uh, we need to have more 23-year-olds in triathlon. Mm. I want 23-year-olds to say, we need more 23-year-olds in triathlon. Yeah. And, and feel comfortable in saying that. Yeah. And, uh, well, because they're way more likely to be able to get more 23-year-olds than some 62-year-old guy is, right? Uh, So my view, if you you want to uh, look at um, what has, if you want to study what's caused the upswelling of women in triathlon, where, where that's happened, it's because women took it upon themselves to do something about uh, their own inclusion in this sport. I felt and feel, and it just has nothing to do about sexual orientation in particular. It's sexual orientation. It's 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 challenged athletes. It's young athletes. It's Zoroastrian athletes. <laughs> it's Ugaritic athletes. Right? It's I don't whoever. Yeah. Um, it, you're much more likely to um, to have representation. Of those cohorts, when those cohorts are the ones themselves who are out there working for the representation, so just don't rain on their parade. Uh, broadcast that they're not welcome. <laughs> um, and so, for me, that's what that was about. Um, the thing of it is that almost everyone in the ITU felt the same way. Everybody I taught, I got so many emails from people inside the ITU community. Oh man, we're working on. Let's just, yeah. just, you know, this this whole thing's gonna be over in three days. All we got to do is we got to get all the people together, different mm. time zones, different languages. Yeah. We got to put the vote on, it, and we're gonna turn this. Around. Very, very few people inside. This was one of those things where somebody somewhere slid this rule in. Mm. Nobody noticed it. The rules got voted on. Everybody assumed they were benign. Mm. Almost the entire ITU community had they realized that this had gotten slipped in would would have objected they just people just didn't see it yeah it was just one of a whole bunch of rule changes mm. that got made at the time yeah so what this wasn't an itu conspiracy as i look out it's time for some contemplation um what are the top three perhaps top four priorities in your life right now what's, what's yeah. truly important whether it's tri related anything oh well i for me i think it's it's uh to become a better they're all they're all personal disciplines really um one is to become a better time to be less lazy and lazy well in this in this <laughs> sense my day is packed morning to night with stuff okay but it's really because i'm lazy it's because i've been too lazy to uh to equip people to do a lot of the stuff that i really should be delegating out okay i'm gonna 
take a step backward because this is a great time to ask this. Um, it's, it's down here. See, it says right there. A day in the life of Dan Empfield. Now, for the past couple of weeks, you've been super busy. You've been organizing the conference in Tempe. So that's kind of like final exam time for a student. So we can kind of all relate to that. But uh, uh, what's what's a typical day like? You say you're lazy, but what's that look like? What does lazy look like according to Dan Empfield? Well, I get up in the morning and uh, I'm I'm a married man. I get up in the morning. I build a fire in the fireplace if it's winter. I make the coffee, and I bring my wife coffee before she gets out of bed. And if you're married, then you understand the value of that. <laughs> Taking uh, notes. Um, um, married for how many years now? Uh, this will be uh, 13. So Newly married. Yeah, reasonably so. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, and then it's just, you know, in front of the computer, uh, you know, seeing what trouble happened overnight that I need to know about. Um, and And then... I, I'm pretty much working all day long throughout the day. So with, working, go ahead. Yeah, yeah with stops for uh, mid-morning stop, go run for 35 minutes with the dogs. Um, and then starting middle of February, back in the pool. Uh, so you go run, then you go to the pool. Where's the pool? Uh, pool's about 25 minutes from here. Oh, okay. Um, so I try to get as much as I can done during the winter because I get a whole bunch of extra time when I don't have to go to the pool because... That's almost an hour of driving and then 45 minutes of swimming. So I get, you know, I, I get an hour and 45 minutes back if I don't swim. Middle of Feb, I'm back in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the pool until uh, pretty close to December. Afternoon, evenings, whipped rides. Uh, but then it's just work all, you know, pretty much throughout the day. So tell us about work. What are the things? So it's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. What what work does that mean? I mean, you're a man of many different uh Hats, disciplines. Yeah. What what could that work be? Well, it's it's you know I I have uh, certain people that write me checks uh, <laughs> for for work I do for them brands that are slow twitch partners. Uh, you know whatever my deliverables are to them, I I like to take a look at that and and uh, and see um, how I can you know appropriately earn my money. So that's one. Number two. Um, I write editorial. So, so what do I want to write about today? Well, mostly I write about what I want to write about. If I think it's important, if I think it's topical, uh, if I think it's necessary. Um, and so there's been themes. You know, there's there's themes in general. There's things there's things I don't write about. I like very, what? What would be I've something been, that's either too hot or you're just? Oh, not, it's not that. It's no, not that. Nothing's too hot. No, no, it's I'm unequipped. You know, when would that stop a writer? <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, it stopped. It stopped me, right? So okay. twenty years ago, I mean, this is a twentieth year of slow twitch. For the first three or four years, I wrote a lot of training articles. Yeah, I don't write them anymore. I just don't feel like I'm qualified anymore. I was qualified then. I'm what's just not, what's disqualified you from train or uh, writing these articles now? You still? I just feel like uh, I have no business writing about training when there's just been so much written in the literature, and there's been so much that the co- the world of coaching has. Yeah, the world has progressed. For example, you know, we have a thing, we have another little side unit called slow twitch coaching and it's it's a little sort of merit badge things like we'll you know, we just did one in in concert with uh, our industry conference where we teach coaches how to coach adult onset swimmers. You know, it's a it's my view that coaching an adult onset swimmer 
is a different pathway. The, if you're learning as an adult onset swimmer, that's a different pathway. It's almost like learning English as a second language. It's excellent, not, excellent comparison, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we teach a, a, a two-day clinic uh, just on the, how you teach, how you coach adult onset swimmers. Another one is we teach coaches how to coach using power on the bike as the operative metric. I am not equipped to teach that. I have somebody else teach that. Uh, but if I'm not equipped to teach it, I'm really not equipped to write articles about it. Mm. And so I farm that stuff out. So I write, I write about the stuff I know about or that I'm confident I know mm. about. And I don't write about the stuff I'm not confident I know about. If I don't, if I don't think I'm equipped. You know, one great thing about Slow Twitch is we have this big reader forum. And, and if you step in it, you know immediately. Mm. Like it, you know... I've got, I've probably got six or eight really good, I mean, world-class exercise physiologists on that forum. And if I write something, uh, if I write something that's, that's not aligned with the literature, I'll hear about it immediately. Uh, and so, you know, you can react two ways or maybe three. One is you can just be defensive and reactive. Uh, but I don't see that that really solves the problem. Number two, you can you can uh, equip yourself, and then write under, with an understanding of of currency, you know, of of current practice and 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 what the literature says. Or you can just say that is no longer a core competency of mine, mm-hmm. and I decided probably 15 years ago, yeah. I'm just that ship sailed yeah. for me. Could I coach you? Could you do well? Yes. But can I coach? Can I write about the science of coaching? Hmm. No. So I just don't write about that. You know, you want to talk about bike geometry, bike fit, <laughs> you know, you want to talk about how to produce races. Okay. <laughs> I can write about that kind of stuff because I feel like I'm competent mm. to write about it. And currently, currently competent yeah. as well, not just uh, right, yeah. back in the day we had yeah. these things called, right. uh, okay. Oh, so we're going back to uh day in the life. So up, make coffee for your wife. Yeah, yeah. Check the slow twitch, put out any fires that frequently yep. need to be put out, <laughs> off to the pool, come back, and then you're... Just uh, writing more articles, and, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up on the reader forum. So is there anything that I feel like I need to address or answer or moderate? And, you know, that's most of it. Now, there's, you know, there's also this element of, you know, product testing, right? And people think, oh, man, it's, it's what a life. You know, people send you all the stuff. Uh, they send you books to read. They send you bikes to ride. And all that. How cool is that? And honestly, that's the part I like the least. That's the stuff I do not like. Because, you know, bike rides are like eggs if you're, if you're a female. You only have so many in you. And when they're gone, they're gone. You know, you only have a finite number of bike rides in you. For your whole life. And when I have to ride your crappy bike, that's <laughs> like one to... of those eggs. Yeah. <laughs> that ain't going to give birth. Mm. That's one of those eggs. That's one of those bike rides I'll yeah. never get back. And so if I have to ride your crappy saddle or your crappy bike, or maybe it's a good saddle, but I just don't have it. I just don't understand it. Or mm. I don't have a position right. You know, I don't, you know, I, there's a lot of wasted, like if I, you know, shoes, man, that's the if you if you go you know if you leave on some run and the shoes don't work for you you can come back injured and so 
So I'm really, you know, I'm picky about stuff like yeah. that. So uh, were there any times you you tried on some running shoes, went uh, maybe a bit further than you should have, and nope. wound up getting injured? Or? Nope, nope, because I just turn around and come back. But yeah. see, that wrecks a run. You know, that just ruined a run. You know, every run is sacred. Every run. Is, so so that's part of it. You know, I got a bike down there right now in my workshop. I haven't even opened the box yet. I'm afraid to, but I'm mm-hmm. I will have to. I'll open the box up, put the thing together, go out and ride it. It's not that I won't like. Well. Every now and then I like the bike, uh, but it's just, you know, there's just always, you know, if it's not, if I don't get it right, or if it's just new, sometimes I get surprises. Oh man, that's great. I really love that. But usually it's just stuff. It's usually it's just unfamiliar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, so to even, but that's part of it. That's yeah, I mean, to to judge a a, a bike fairly, I mean, you have to have kind of a an open mind as to how this thing could feel or is supposed to feel, and then. I guess they they have given it to you for a reason, so there's some stock things you're going to be checking for. Well, yeah, um, and I usually you know need to ride it a few times yeah. to be fair to it. But yeah, so product product testing that's a part of it. So that's a, you know that's it typical stuff. But then there's a lot of one thing that I do is first early early in the morning is I try to get I try to get tasked out the stuff that 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 other people are going to do for me because um, if I can get a bunch of people out there doing stuff, whether it's writing articles or uh, executing some deliverable for a client, or, then it's not just me doing it. You know, then I've got, you know, four or five, six people and we're all out there doing something. Mm-hmm. You get more done that way. Um, so, so the first thing I try to do uh, is I try to set in motion anything that anyone else is going to do on, on my behalf. Uh, and then I and then I get busy on all the stuff that I'm doing that's just uh, specific to me. And that's probably the best use of your time. I mean, things, I mean, not to stroke your ego too much, but I mean, there's a lot of things that you do that don't necessarily require a person of your caliber or expertise or well, experience that's what, in order to do that. Yeah, that's, that's what I was alluding to when I said, I, I, you know, when you ask me what my goals or intentions are going forward one is that i just need to uh and i have uh, it was a sort of a new year's resolution that i'm going to equip and train and empower the people to do the things that i don't really want to do or in all likelihood that they're better at than i am or or to you know create another i mean you're passing this on i mean we're both getting on in age and we're at that stage now where is it erickson's stages of development where you know we've we've paid our well i'm talking we when it should be primarily you but i mean you get to the point where your best use of time is instilling your knowledge and your values to the next generation to, to take that and run with it well here's the thing i'm i have a i have talents and then I and then I have limitations, and and I'm and my talent is in seeing what's out there before you see what's out there. My limitation is the thing that's in front of us both right now. You're probably better at dealing with it than I am. Uh, so I'm not really good at uh, at at just the typical day to day skills. Other people are better than I am. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, I produce the Slow Twitch weekly newsletter, okay. right, which a lot of people get. I don't know, we have 
many, many tens of thousands of people get this thing every every week, every Monday, you know, most Mondays. I don't need to produce it. I, I happen to be the guy who knows how to do it, but it looks kind of <laughs> crappy. I mean, if you, when you get it in your inbox, I mean, it's something, you know, it would be state of the art 25 years ago. Yeah. But not now. And so I finally just decided I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it anymore. But yeah. it, but there, it draws from a lot of, it would take the, from the content that goes into it. The tech that goes into it is easy. The content that goes into it is hard. Uh, but I just need to train some yeah. someone to do it, uh, who's who actually will produce a better newsletter than I would. And so I've identified the person, I've mm-hmm. hired him, off we go into the future, training him now, creating his permissions and mm-hmm. all of that, so he can get what he needs mm-hmm. off of the site. So, uh, so that's a case in point, right? Yeah. So that's like a half a day for me just putting that damn thing together. Oh wow, yeah. And so, uh, so once a week, half a day. That's that's an yeah, investment. It is. Yeah. Or a couple hours, or however long it takes me. So there's there's things there's things like that where I just. There are people who who can who can do the current work I do better than I do it, and so my number one goal for 2019 mm-hmm. um, is to offload about half of what I do to people who do it better than me, so that they can do it, and then I'm gonna try to look around the corner and find stuff uh, and see stuff that you don't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I, and then when I see it, uh, then I'll integrate it into what we're doing, and then I'll find someone who's doing it better than me, and I'll float it to them, and so on. So we go right. So I think that's what I'm. I'm a better futurist than a currentist. <laughs> let's put it that way. I, and you've made your career out of it, right? Yeah, but you know, once you get to the point where, okay, so you develop this new wetsuit, right? This new thing. Yeah, wetsuits. Who would have thunk it? So, traveling swimming in wetsuits. But at a certain point, it's like, okay, now we're into the just the day-to-day grunt job of making wetsuits, fixing the patterns, all that stuff. There's other people who just do that stuff better than me. That's really, that's the trick, is I think, is to, is to figure out what you're good at and to figure out what you're either not good at or where, or where other people are every bit as good as you with that. And then offload the stuff that you're doing. That isn't that you don't have a special talent for, uh, and then work on the stuff where you do have a special talent. Take some time to recognize that. Okay, so here's or, or failures. Here's, I mean, here's another talent I have: triathlon wetsuits. I'm calling up a bike shop. I want to sell you something. Well, what do you want to sell me? I want to sell you wetsuits. Uh, well, you you know, in, in 1987, there was no such thing as a triathlon wetsuit, and so how's that conversation going to go exactly, <laughs> right? Excuse me, but you have you have called the wrong number. Uh-huh. This is a bike shop. Yeah, no, no, I'm called the right. I know who I'm talking. I know who I want to talk to. I know it's a bike shop. I want to sell you a wetsuit. Let me explain why I want to sell you a wetsuit. Uh, there's no internet back, so that's a thing I'm good at, which is explaining why a bike shop needs to sell wetsuits. Okay. I wouldn't say I'm good at that. What I'm good at is when the bike shop tells me no, and hangs up on me, instead of getting discouraged. I get angry. That's what I'm good at. Ah. I'm good at getting angry instead of discouraged. Mm. And it just makes me call that many more bike shops. So the thing I'm good at is seeing the product or service that you need before you recognize that you need it. And then having the determination to keep pressing 
un- until it, it becomes a thing in the industry. Once it becomes a thing, then the thing I'm not good at is, is just the day-to-day you know, management of the thing. Yeah, you, know. you can create birth to this idea, maybe foster it to a certain point, and then it's like off to yeah. The I mean, other how people how to... good was? And, and I'm not comparing myself to Steve. Jo- Let's take Elon Musk for example. Elon Musk is really good at, at thinking things up, right? He thought up Tesla, the electric, you know, his yeah. electric car. He thought up you know boring holes in the ground so you can get you know. Um, Quickly, uh, so that you know, you to relieve traffic congestion. You, you thought up sending people into space. You right. thought up, you know, big batteries that, that are really good at storing. But he's proven spectacularly bad at managing the day to day. Yeah, and so, uh, so there you go. You know what? So Elon Musk is a just much bigger version of me. Right? <laughs> well, maybe outside the triathlon world, uh, yeah, we know that Musk guy. Is he kind of doing what Dan's doing here? Perhaps. Uh-huh. Uh, although, I mean, looking from uh, a triathlete's, you know, a, a participant's perspective, uh, you really haven't had any <laughs> spectacular blowouts or blow-ups like he has. I mean, you know, your failures have been pretty... Uh, and I'm assuming there's been failures, but they've been pretty quiet or pretty low key in uh, comparison, right? Well, yeah, you know, thing is that I'm another. another you haven't advantage. gone on any uh, talk shows and smoked dope with no some UFC. You're right. Uh, I don't know. You want to light one? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're drinking uh, coffee. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, funny thing about that is that neither Elon Musk nor I actually are marijuana imbibers. Huh. He just happened to do that on the talk show as to, I guess, to be, do something, yeah. silly, make a point, whatever. Well, he, 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 he did made, make, made some points. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I'm older than he is. I'm more, I guess, temperate by nature. I used to be more of a hothead than I am now. I just, it just never really got me anywhere, yeah. you know, being a hothead. And that's one of the things I noticed. I mean, I've been on the slow twitch forum for a dozen years and it's always been i mean and i've certainly more than once pushed the barriers and i haven't been one of the poopy pants on the forum but you've always been such a a calm and moderating and rational influence i mean there's firestorms and you know shit's being flung in all directions but then you're able to you know i don't know if it's your training uh if it's your personality you're just able to take stock of the situation and just kind of de-escalate it and sometimes you've had to you know bar users and whatnot but that's that's on a very very rare occasion yeah but that's because in almost all cases i'm from the outside looking in to your disagreement. So if, if you were on the side of the road in the middle of a road rage fight with somebody, it would be hard for you to sort of see the thing clearly. If you came along and two guys were, you know, in the middle of a road rage, you would be the calm guy, right? Tired because you're not emotionally involved in whatever it was that happened. And so it's pretty easy for me to moderate that forum because I'm just spectating the fight you guys are in. Well, I know people who would jump in and start. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not you. You know, the forum has taught me as much as as I've gotten as much from the forum from that community 
<clears throat> as as I've given it. Um, and you know, there's there's been you know that's it, twenty years now. So there's certainly been moments where you know uh, this was not Dan's best day. Then you you reflect back the next time something like this comes along. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You know, nine months ago. <laughs> Um, I sure wish I just just would have shut up, mm. right? And so hopefully you 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 recognize that, and then you you're a little, a little more uh, circumspect in your comments. Um, and so you know, after twenty years, yeah, I mean, if I don't know it by now, yeah, let's just follow that for a second. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, what what ticks you off? whether it's in the world of triathlon, in the world in general. What what makes you just scratch your head or kick the dog? I know that's a bad reference because you are a dog lover and you've got a lot of cute dogs right here. But what 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 hacks you off? What 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 hacks me off mostly is the stuff that I do. What what hacks what hacks me off mostly is myself when I do something. Kick myself because uh because of a self-inflicted wound, you know, because of because of pilot error. I'm more mad at myself than I am mad at anybody else. But in general, beyond that... Uh, what was the last time you, you were like that? What, what was that? Oh, boy. I guess I'd have to... It's, it's typically business stuff. It's typically, man, you know, if I'd have just done this five years ago. Here was something that I could have done five years ago and I didn't. And, you know, how much better off would I be today if mm-hmm. I'd have done that? Um, so it's, it's typically just technical business stuff like that. But... Um, other, otherwise, I mean, I guess I'm I'm set off by the same thing that other people are. You know, people who are cruel, people who are bullies, you know, stuff like that. That that bothers me. I, I guess by nature, uh, you know, I I wish that other folks uh, could. It's just like when I put on that race in August of '81. All I wanted was to share a little bit of the experience I had with people. Who, who didn't who who don't have the capacity to have that experience in the you know any time in the near future if I can bring a little bit of what I experienced to them great I guess I like to that's my I'm wired that way by nature whenever I see that door being closed that frustrates me uh, if something gets too expensive you know if something is needlessly expensive is something that, people whose favorite words People whose favorite word is no, mm. and they just like to say it as much as they can. You know, any any opportunity to say mm. no, they'll say it. <laughs> you know that that bugs me. You know, my view, and I, you know, I always people who work for me just know our favorite word is yes. We're not always going to say it, but we're always going to try. Mm. If someone asks something of us, can we say yes? Is there a good reason? To not say yes. If so, I want to know what it is. Mm. Otherwise, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you if, if your default word is no, that'll frustrate me. I'll, I'll probably be reactive to that. Tell us about your fears. What scares you? You know, uh, I was talking to a guy at our conference that we just had. He does he puts on a clinic for coaches, for uh, para, Paralympians and paratriathletes and so forth. And so when I see someone who is an able-bodied triathlete, and now they're a wheelchair triathlete. Um, I can't imagine losing the losing my the use of my legs, for example. I would say that that scares me. Hmm. That scares me. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I would deal with that hmm. because I'm a runner. Yeah. Like I me, mean, as we spoke. Yeah. You yeah. Know, <laughs> how do you run? Other than that, I don't care. Hmm. 
I mean, I'm whatever. Uh, let me tell you what doesn't scare me. That's what scares me. What doesn't scare me is is just if you know if I found out. I mean, and of course you never know. Well, I had a cancer scare a couple of years ago, so I had a little bit. I have a little bit maybe of, of the glimpse of that. But um, if I I truly think that if I found okay, well, I'm going to be dying this year sometime. I don't think I I wouldn't feel cheated. I feel yeah yeah. I mean, I I used all 62 years. Pretty pretty, pretty good run. Pretty yeah. good run. However. Uh, losing the ability to roam the, the earth under human power locomotion. Hmm. That, that, I mean, that's that's really what I'm all about. So mm-hmm. that that scares me. That would scare me. And the name of your dog here? Well, this one here, he's bear. Bear. He resembles a bear. Doesn't smell like a bear. Does he eat like a bear? He eats like a bear. Anything he wants. Uh, you vegan, vegetarian? Or what's the deal? <laughs> well, um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I stopped eating meat. That is to say, we don't eat uh, any kind of red meat or pork or chicken or fowl, no chicken? turkey. Huh? Yeah, nothing. Mm. Uh, we eat... What was the motivation for that? I'll tell you what it was. Uh, we we do eat fish. And I'm not trying to, you know, lay my trip on anybody else. I mean, this is just me, right? I just came to this view, and I, it, it had been some years coming. If I'm not willing to kill it, I'm not willing. I'm not going to eat it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't willing to kill it. Skin in the game. Skin K- in the kinda. game. Kinda. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, are there health benefits, perhaps? But that's really what it came down to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, you still fish? Um, I rarely fish, and it's mostly just an element of time. Yeah. And I, I can't say that I'm happy, you know, when I land the fish. Yeah. You know, look at, hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> too bad for you. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, you know, I, 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 because I am willing to fish, and I do, fi- you know, okay, I'll eat it. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just not willing. I don't, I don't hunt ever, ever. I don't hunt again. This is just me. I'm not against hunting. Yeah. And I probably would eat meat if I was a hunter. Okay. Because I am willing to kill it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I just think there's something for me mm. where if I'm not willing to look it in the eye and no. shoot it mm. or however I'm going to kill it, yeah. then there's just part of this. It, it actually does relate to what I do in sport because I, f- I just feel like we've lost a bit of our attachment to what it was to, to a, you know, a million years of programming. And so a lot of endurance sport for me, you know, when I talk about the differences between organic versus contrived events and stuff mm. like that, a lot of it for me is I feel like there's a lot of programming uh, in me that resonates that comes alive when I'm out you know running on some trail somewhere riding my gravel bike or something like that I feel that like I feel it's okay I'm in tune I'm in touch I'm I'm plugged in and so when I feel you know when I'm not able to do that I feel disconnected from my programming I feel like my DNA's telling me something but I'm doing something else and so, you know, uh, my wife and I, uh, we're going to start a garden this year, right? So we already have a little apple orchard. And we make the our most own. expensive apples in California exactly. you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, uh, I, I think they're probably, they probably cost me about 15 bucks an apple to grow <laughs> so far. Uh, I was out there pruning the trees this morning. But there is, you know, this thing of, you know, of, of you're actually eating what you grew. 
Uh, so I taught myself to can a few years ago. So I make my own applesauce and can it. We make apple butter and apple juice. And we do all that. And it just feels better. It just feels like, I think a lot of us, if we were just dropped somewhere 150 years ago, we'd just die. <laughs> you know, uh, Like where you live. Imagine living where you lived 150 years ago. As a matter of fact, I'm reading a, a, uh, a memoir right now of a fellow who was one of the earliest settlers mm-hmm. in Washington state in the sort of Seattle Puget Sound area. And close enough to home? Yeah, very close to you. Mm-hmm. Very close to you. Yeah. Sorry. And it's all his name was Ezra Meeker and he but he wrote his whole memoir of coming, you know, a, a couple of pairs of oxen pulling his wagon, you know, from Indiana to Washington or Portland, Oregon, and Oregon North, Trail, yeah, north to Washington. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm, um, you know, when you read about that, okay, well, those those oh, those were hardy mofo's. Mm-hmm. Those are people. That's <laughs> yeah. not me, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm challenged. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little bit uplifted and a little bit challenged by that, right? So, okay, can I just have a little bit of that in my life? Uh, but the the not eating meat thing, it's well, you yeah. know, if I'm not going to grow it, if I'm not going to kill it, if yeah. I, you know, then you know, what right do I? But you know, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this is the way other people should be. It's just that. But that's why when you ask me, that's the long answer to that's, you know <laughs> dietary. You know what that's all about for me. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you were making uh, references to races and race courses. What would be the ultimate? race course that you would design length features location if that's relevant well what would that look like i'm looking for courses to put on triathlons where the bike uh, where you use a a gravel bike or an all-road bike um, so it's mixed surfaces and so you know part of its pavement part of its single track part of its truck trail uh, that kind of thing and i've got races where the bike is 15 miles long and I've got races where the bike is 80 miles long and it's just what the it's just what the geography gives me uh, that that determines it now that said there's something I'd like to do and that is uh, there's a part of the Sierra Nevada mountain range in, in central California where you could start on the western side and you could end up on the eastern side uh, where no roads go so you'd probably need to stay overnight. It would be a multi-day thing. You'd probably need to stay overnight up in the Sierras somewhere, you know, 10, 12,000 feet. That's why we're calling it multi-sport. Right. Camping is a sport. Yeah. Well, I have a buddy of mine. You know, we have horses here. Mm-hmm. And I have a buddy of mine. And during the summer, he takes, uh, he packs in with mules, takes a mule train up into the Sierras, takes people up there. And so I thought, okay. Well, we're going to swim in this lake, then we're going to ride, then we're going to swim in that lake, then we're going to run. And then my buddy, uh, he'll come up from the eastern side uh, packing in uh, everything we need on mules. And uh-huh. He'll have it all set up there. I'll just pay <laughs> him, right? He'll have it all set there. So when I get there, I sure hope he's there. Because <laughs> if he isn't, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I'll get a few buddies together and then, then that's what we'll do. And then the next day we'll run out on the Eastern side, uh, and then, you know, ride our bikes down to Mm. wherever. So that kind of thing appeals to Mm. me. And so I don't really have exactly, you know, the, the, the ideal distance in mind. It's just that I have certain parts of 
you know, certain geographical areas and I just want to start on one side and get mm. to the other side. Yeah. Uh, and, in, and in some cases that involves just a bike. In some cases it's just running. In some cases it's all three, you know, swims involved too. So if I, if I can incorporate more rather than fewer of these activities that I do, you know, Nordic ski, swim, bike, run, so much the better. If I can't, great. Then I'll just you know, lop off the swim or whatever. But mm. <clears throat> just honoring the geography that's there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Honoring the geography, and and then when you find a thing that's in the way, having the skill and the tech, and and the wherewithal to travert to go across it, whether it's swimming or whatever it is. Uh, I'm not a, an extreme sport guy. If it involves some sort of going straight up something mm. I'm, where I could fall and die. Mm. Multi-sport featuring paragliding. Yeah, I'm not. No. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I, I'm not a... I don't mind a little bit of technical skill required. Mm. But I'm not, you know, if it invo- like I'm not going to climb up some the face of some vertical mountain, no. you know, rock slab or something. That's not me. What are your missions now based on the emails you've been sending out to the people and the... Uh, TBI conference, uh, you're really advocating for new blood in the yeah. sport as far as uh, people who will put on these events, whether yeah. they're you know organic or just conforming and just basically getting people into the sport of triathlon or multi-sport in general. Um, one of the things that I was wondering, what can we do as athletes, as participants, you know, as onlookers to help support these race directors? Uh, I mean, they, they stick their necks out financially. It's, uh, it's being one myself, uh, a huge investment of time for, yeah. uh, you know, depending, you know, varying degrees of reward, whether that's financial, uh, you know, satisfaction. But what, what can we do to support race directors? I don't look at it quite in those terms. What I, what I, want, I feel like we're at an inflection point in triathlon. I feel like it's 1980 all over again. Is that a good time or a... That's a great time. Great time? Okay. Because um, we didn't have... For two reasons. Number one, uh, first of the, uh, four, or four of the first five triathlons I did were draft legal. Uh, and the Ironman in Hawaii was the only one that wasn't. Um, and it's because we hadn't made any decisions yet. Yeah. And so I feel like we're at this moment where people are ready for new things. By definition, if it's new, people haven't made decisions yet yeah. about how it's going to be. So I think we have a lot of freedom now that maybe we didn't feel in 2012 or 2010 or something. Yeah, by that time, the distances were pretty yeah, standardized. Yeah. The rule books were well written. and Yeah. To a... So my, my view is that we have new tech and we, uh, we can do things like, anyway, so that's one. So we can we, we have new events, we have no rules, we haven't made any decisions, we can do what we want. So that's one. And I mean, not just with gravel triathlons, but super sprints or multi-day, you know, like stage race triathlons, stuff like that. We can do what we want. And so I think we should do, we, we should explore. Number two is, the interesting thing about the gravel, you know, people say, well, it's too, now I need a new bike. I need to buy a gravel bike. This sport's too damn expensive. Yeah. It's actually kind of the opposite. You know, think about if you, a lot of gravel bike races, you, if you actually go to a gravel bike race, 
what you see is road bikes and fat bikes and everything in between. Everything is out there. Nobody's made decisions yet as to what gravel bike races are going to be or all road or whatever you want to call them. But it's just like it was in 1979, 1980, where in triathlon, you'd go out there with any kind of bike and it was fine. Go to finish, go to have some fun. and Yeah. yeah. And people were out there on everything. And so in a way, by making the course variable, by having the course be a little bit of gravel, a little bit of mud, a little bit of pavement, well, maybe a fair bit of pavement and just different stuff, yeah. right? You basically said... Now you can't take your $12,000 tri-bike. Anyway, right? <laughs> no, well, you could try, but yeah, yeah, that would be... And so really, what what it and And there's... there, You could take anything out there. Mm. And so in a way, it's, it's forcing the sport back to its economical roots. Because there aren't these really well-developed, really highly technical apex products out yeah. there that are required um, in order to do well at the race. Mm-hmm. Take anything you, any bike you got, bring it out there and do it. Use it. Take it. Because if, let's say all you have is a mountain bike. I promise you there's parts of a lot of these courses mm-hmm. where whatever bike I'm riding, I would rather be on the bike you're riding. Yeah. At least for this section. Uh-huh. You know, <clears throat> And likewise, if you bring a road bike, you know, road bike, 28 millimeter, you know, tires, there's parts of the course where I'm going to wish I was on your bike. Yeah. There's an optimum bike for that section. Yes. Yes. If there's a bunch of different sections like that and there, and no one's got the optimal bike for anything, then everybody's got the optimal bike for something. Just bring, you know, run, run what you brung. Yeah. yeah you know, it's a drag racing analogy there. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's one reason why gravel triathlon inspires me right now is there's no cost requirement there's no cost benefit there's no and because it's draft legal there's a lot of the section you know you're on single track yeah. it's like what benefit is it so so there's fewer rules it just feels like 35 years ago yeah and it sounds like i mean that's what triathlon was i mean that's what it nobody was. was perfect at it wasn't and i think it's a shift for well not a shift just perhaps a, a different perspective looking at it from a, a participant's perspective which is you know what 90 percent of the folks who do this race and a competitor's mindset who is you know looking to optimize well you were back in back in the early early 80s was there anybody who really wanted to to, well dave scott but i mean who really wanted to win this thing in those early years most people wanted to see if they could do this thing exactly i mean we didn't even know if it was possible which if you do a race if you want a new experience it's not like anything you've ever felt in triathlon. Do a race where nobody knows, including the race director, whether it's even possible to do it. In a way, that's what the Ironman was. Yeah. You know, and it felt like that for the first two or three, four years. Yeah. Was it self-supported when you had done it? No. Okay. But I'll tell you what it was, is it was so new. And and it was there was a, there was a new element when they moved it to Kona because it was just the weather was harsher. Mm. We, they weighed us. We had to get off our bike or stop running, whatever, to step on one of those scales like they have in the doctor's office where they the weights back and forth on the slide. Mm. You know, They had a bunch of those. They had five of those scales out there. On the, on the course. run course. On the bike. And on, the, on the bike as well. At, at Javi. Yeah. Get off the bike. Get on the scale. At Hapuna Beach. 
on the way back, get off the bike, get on the scale. At T2, get off the bike, get on the scale. You know, halfway through the, get off the bike. So, and the thing, they weighed us like on Wednesday or Thursday before the race. Yeah. And so they all had, they had a baseline weight for all of us. Mm. If you lose 10% of your body weight, we pull you from the course. Wow. Because they had no, it was like a vet check, a ride and tie or <laughs> yeah. endurance horse race or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was really like, well, we're putting this race on, but we have no but, idea if it's yeah. possible that you can even do it. Yeah. Right. So this is going to be a safety check of sorts. Yeah. But because it was the first year it was in Kona, they didn't know how that would it, that would change the race, mm-hmm. whether whether that would make the race un, unachievable. Like yeah. no one gets to finish this year because we didn't realize it was so hard yeah. once you plop plop it on this course in yeah. Kona. Yeah. When you when you do an event and you don't even know if it's possible for anyone <laughs> to do the event, yeah. that's pretty it's pretty neat. Yeah. I mean it, it gives you a sensation that's different. Yeah, yeah. it's the, the the beauty of lack of expectations other than being in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. It's very yeah, it's very uh sort of uh uh, existential. So, so the thing about when you when you when you make the course, when you make the race, something that doesn't conform to to current apex tech, where you can't use disc wheels, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden uh, you don't have this problem of the sport's too expensive because you don't get to use that stuff anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's one thing where I think there's an On the other hand, it's a hell of a marketing opportunity. And in your eyes, I bet you, well, maybe, maybe I'm being a bit jaded here, but you're seeing the, the, in quotes, development of the gravel and you're thinking optimization, optimization, because that's, oh, you ex- bet. that's what your life has been. Yeah, you bet. Uh, now, am I going to become a, a manufacturer of gravel bikes? No. <laughs> You'll get uh, somebody to do it for you. But I'm going to get somebody to do it for yeah. me. Yeah. Because... And it's not because of the commercial element of it. It's because I want, if I can get a tool, if I can get a hold of a tool that will help me get further up and further in, then that's what I want. Mm. It's just a tool. It's just a tool to help me explore more of the world Mm -hmm. than I could otherwise explore. Uh, I mean, the mountain bike, it's like, whoa, Mm -hmm. look at the places we can go. Look at the distances we can go now that we have. You know, so this was it like 30 years ago yeah. with the mountain bikers. So here comes the gravel bike. So this has allowed a greater degree of freedom. Uh, so that's what it's. It's not the commercial elements of it. It's. it's that's the, not what gets you no, excited. I don't care about that. It's the ability to go places that I couldn't mm-hmm. otherwise go. But the other thing I wanted to mention in answer to your question, the other area where I feel like we're at an inflection point. I'm 62 next week. I'm glad to be here. Mm. Happy to be here. Hope to be around for a while. But there's too many old white men in charge of this sport. And we need to have we need to have a new generation of people come. And it's and it's not it's it's not so much of a that it's an age thing. We need people who have a new vision for what multi-sport will be to produce races, to get involved with the sport. Or to work alongside race directors of my generation, for them, with them. Um, we need events that appeal to folks um, that take into consideration the tech that we have available to us now. Uh, I can't be everywhere, so what do you you know? What do you got that's good to see up there in BC? Mm. Um, let's 
let's figure out what the courses are. Let's use the tech at our disposal, and let's and let's put those races on. Yeah. I went. I flew to Michigan and did to do gravel bike triathlon last year because uh, that's where there was one. <laughs> you know, the one, the one. Mm-hmm. And so, if there's one in BC, yeah. you'll see me at the start line. Okay. So I'm 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 looking for the new the new expressions of multi-sport, which will get us back to the reason that I got into this whole thing in the beginning, which is I just want to see more of this planet. And, and I'm, and I'm enthusiastic because there's tech now that helps me see more of the planet. So when I put on my, and as we get older, it's nice to have, uh, you know, those opportunities for whatever help it is. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, cassettes for road bikes were what 1123 if you were lucky yeah. and now we can go to a 32 and you know climbs that i couldn't do in my early 20s i can do now because of like you were saying the technology is there well there's three things that have really changed it for me the gravel bike gearing yeah and and wait for another couple of weeks i'll be writing about some stuff on that okay <laughs> and hocus uh, yeah, Hoka is the yeah. elixir of life. Uh, right. And it's not that I feel any special, you know, Hoka's not a client of mine. Mm. And I don't care about the brand one way or the other in particular. I care about the tech. Now, Hoka is it. I mean, Hoka and, uh, you know, I just spent the weekend with the two founders of Hoka, which who are dear friends of mine, the two Frenchmen, Nico Mermoud and Jean-Luc Diard. Mm. And they're just lovely guys. And I just love them to death. And we we and they came to the TBI conference. And yes. Jean Luc was our keynote speaker, and I had dinner with them both. And they're great. They're great. But I'm not married to the brand. I'm married to the tech. And one thing that frustrates me is Nike couldn't make a Hoka if they <laughs> put a hundred million bucks behind it because they don't genetically understand what Hoka is. Hmm. They can make a Vaporfly four percent. Which is a great shoe. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, the guy uh, who, who was probably as involved in that shoe as any other, Jason Hill, was the product manager at Hoka, Hoka. before Nike hired him away. And so there's some, you know, perhaps some mm-hmm. Hoka DNA. But Nike's interest is not in making what Hoka makes. To Nike's detriment, Nike does not get Hoka. Think- I don't care how many... Billions of dollars is set. Nike does not understand Hoka. Hmm. Nike cannot make a Hoka. And it's not because they don't have the money or the tech or the brains to do it. They don't understand that shoe. Very few companies understand that shoe. When you understand what makes Hoka Hoka, I'll, fine, I'll come, I'll run in your shoe. But very few shoe companies do. There's probably five different things that conspire to make that shoe that shoe. Hmm. But for what other reason? For whatever reason, I don't know why. Asics just won't make it. Brooks just won't make it. You Is know? Ultra approximate, or they? That's a different path to the same end. Ultra makes one shoe that's sort of, kind of similar. Yeah. Smells like, tastes like a Hoka. But uh, now this isn't. Hoka had challenges over the last year or two with the foam that they put in their shoes. Um, you know, there's Adidas and Nike and some other shoes were ahead of Hoka. Nike came out with a carbon plate before Hoka did. Uh, Hoka's coming out with one in the next, I don't know, month or two or three. So, so Hoka has Hoka doesn't win in every area of shoe design. Hoka just wins at what it does. If you're my age and if you have dodgy knees, 
Um, and if running is one of those things where tomorrow may be your last day mm -hmm. because, you know, we're just at that age, right? mm -hmm. uh, then Hoka, Hoka is a brand that means more to me than just about any other brand. I mean, it's, a, well, what means, you know, Dodge, uh, you know, Apple, Apple, you know, what Hoka's one, Apple's two. Mm. Those are the brands that yeah. mean more to me than, mm. any, than any other brand. Yeah. And it's because of what, what it would mean if that brand was instantly gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But anyway, pardon the digression. I, there's just, there's certain things that technically allow me to, to do things that I would, that I could have done when I was 25, but I couldn't do now without that tech. Talking about that, you can't do what you've been doing without a good, solid group of people around you. And uh, who have been your biggest supporters over the years? You've been in this, you know, since 1981, mostly in it. Well, look, there's... Who there's, are the people around you who are, you know, your champions? There's some people that, you know, that are just part of the group, you know, like in, in the, you know, let's get the group back together, sort of the... So who's the group? Name names. Yeah, Karen Singh. I mean, she's my... She was with me at QR starting in 1990, and she's with me now. She's just... You know, she's with me at TBI, she's with me at QR, or Slow Twitch. There's folks like that. You know, Ian Murray is a really important guy because he, he's my head bike fit instructor. He's involved with everything I'm doing uh, these days. I think probably the best bike fitter I know. Um, Where does he live? He's down in, he's very well known for what he does. He is also somewhat well known for being married to Alexandra Paul, who is the Baywatch girl who did Iron Man. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, so there's a core group of you know Herbert Crable, and you know there's there's people who have been involved with me, Timothy Carlson, that have just been around for decades, in one fashion or another, that make Slow Twitch what it is. Mark Montgomery, Monty on our Monty, forum. yeah. I mean, there's almost nothing I do. You know, he's my next door neighbor here. Uh, there's almost nothing I do that he's not involved with one way or the other. I love people who are just willing, you know, I called him up one day. Hey, Monty, trysports.com assets are going up for auction. You want to bid on it? Oh, okay. <laughs> and off to the races, off to the race. So, you know, so we bought all of that. Um, we're still trying to sell all the, you know, anybody wants compression wear? <laughs> we got a lot. So there's a, you know, there's a group of folks who've been around and who I'm, I'm happy to, you know, who are just always there. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that's the, that's the core band. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of blues brothers, <laughs> you know, beyond that, you know, my wife, she's a gamer. So I'm lucky there. Now know. clarify gamer. Uh, you mean like online gaming person? No, no, no. no. Okay. Mean, <laughs> Cause that's just, what <laughs> she's just, she's tough and she's willing. Okay. And, okay. You know, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay. Well, that's an yeah. interesting combination. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I meant that she's just, uh, she's Dungeons a, and Drag. No, 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 no. Okay. No, she'd be the last person to, whatever it is I want to do. It's yeah, sure. Mm. You know, I said to her, Hey, let's take our gravel bikes and go to Scotland and just go, you know, for a week mm -hmm. and we'll just sleep where we end up. Okay, fine. When are we going? Huh. Okay. So, you know, she's got that sort of spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now people in the triathlon community today, who impresses you, uh, whether that's an athlete or a person behind the scenes, race organizers? You look at the person saying, you know, that's that's a real asset to, to triathlon. Well, look, I, I'm always going to come back to the race organizers. 
they're always my heroes, first and foremost, because they put themselves on the line. They put a race out there and then you decide to, you know, people just, it's like someone, it's like when you make a movie, you know, and you spend a hundred million bucks and then nobody sees your movie. <laughs> so that's, that's what our race, that's who our race directors are. So what I'm saying is, hey, you guys go out there and make interesting races, right? You look at somebody like Stephen Del Monte in, in North Jersey and you tell him, all right, let's try this. And he'll say, all right, mm. let's do it. So uh, you know, last year he put on a women's only triathlon that started in the pool that had 1,350 women in it. Up for a pool for swim, pool triathlon. Swim. Pool swim. Wow. Swim first, mm-hmm. right? Half these women, first timers. But he had the he, he had the pioneering spirit to give it a go. Mm-hmm. By the way, that race has 1,300 people signed up for it. Now, it's January. That race doesn't take place till July. So... Already they've sold the thing out. Pretty pretty close to sold it out. But, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So Ava Solomon, she puts on races in Michigan. She put on that gravel triathlon Mm -hmm. that I went to. She puts on a lot of really interesting races. She puts on a race called the Battle of Waterloo. uh, That's kind of like the survival of Shawankunk. You you, You ride your bike, then you run, then you swim, then you run, then you ride some more, then you run some more, swim, run. It's like, it's one of those things. You know, nobody ever knows whether... She puts on a 10k open water swim. I mean, she puts on weird, she puts on and then she puts on gravel bike races. Yeah. She puts on a whole bunch of weird stuff that's disconnected. But see, her races are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So kind of bucking the trend. Yeah. Is it because of the innovation or is yes. there some demographic thing that's going on there? Both. It's because uh, we have a new generation of people who are taking up triathlon. We have an old generation of people who are tired of the same old thing. You know, Del Monte in Jersey and uh, Eva Solomon in Michigan are risk-taking. 2018 was a year where triathlon was up or triathlon was down, depending on who you were, where you were. I'm not saying that every time you put on some new risky, weird race, it's going to hit. But there is a nexus. There appears to be a nexus between risk-taking race directors and races that were up in 2018. New, interesting, strange formats, things that other people are scared of doing, other race directors won't touch. Mm -hmm. These folks will put them on. Lo and behold, you look where the success was, it's with these folks. Their races are climbing, growing, climbing, Mm -hmm. growing. So, you know, I tell tell these race directors, it's it's 1849, (laughs) gold just got discovered Uh in Sacramento. (laughs) How many years are you going to wait to go stake your claim? Yeah. You know, now, could you stake a claim and just, you know, drill a, a, a dry hole in the ground where there's no gold? Well, yep. You could. Yep. You could. Mm-hmm. You could. Mm-hmm. Could happen. There's going to be some losers. Uh, but I promise you, if you never pan for gold, you're not going <laughs> to find any. And, and so that's, those are the people, anybody that asks me, who are the people that I'm most animated by in triathlon? Yeah. It's the race directors that are putting themselves on the line. And it's, in, and, and it's specifically the subset of race directors who say, this is interesting to me. And I bet if it's interesting to me, it might be interesting to other people too. And then I guess the, the second, and, and I'm not, look, I'm not going to say to any triathlete who's a consumer that you have some duty to do these races. If you don't find that idea interesting, don't sign up. And if you find it interesting, sign up. Uh, so I don't think the consumer has any duty to any of us. I think that it's, I don't think anybody has any duty to any of us. 
other than just, you know, your Column word is your bond, decency. pay your bills. Yeah. If you're going to put a race on, please put a safe race on, stuff yeah. like that. But what I would say is there's, an, there's opportunity out there. And so I would, I would just simply say those who have been risking, this seems to be a time when there is more reward for the race director that will keep his ear to the tracks and put on a race that has, for example, in your, you know, not too far from you. Orchids Island, is that well, what you're... Well, I'm Matt Lieto. Yeah. Gravel bike stage race he's putting on in Oregon. Mm. I have a feeling that thing's going to do well. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that when you announce when you announce stuff like that, you, you know you might get hit with a big ho hum. I'm not doing that. That's too many. That's too many hours. That's too far away. It's too many days. That's blah, 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 too. Many. But instead, I don't know, man. Our forum lit up when that thing got announced. I I think he's going to do well, and I hope he's going to do yeah. well. That's the you know. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. The great thing about you know gravel is anything that's involved with gravel. It's cheap for two reasons. Number one, since you can go wherever you want, go places where it's cheap to put the race on, where there's not a bunch of course marshals, not a bunch of cops, and there's not a bunch <laughs> of permits, and it's yeah. easy. So that's one good thing. Second good thing, it's young, it's new. It's like it's it's there's no expectation yeah. of a twenty five thousand dollar prize purse. Mm-hmm. You put on a good gravel race, you're going to get a top field, even if there's no money. Good beer sponsor helps. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, I don't know what money Matt Lieto has for that, but I'll bet it's not a lot, yeah. you know, for the, and it doesn't matter. People are going to come out, you know, the good guys, the good racers, they're going to come out and do it uh, because they just like, it's a cool sport. Yeah. It's yeah a, I just want to do cool it. Cool thing. Yeah. Um, talking about risk taking and money. Um, if you were in charge of the big show in Hawaii, would you move that around? Would you move, move Kona? No. No. No, I'd leave it right there. I've, you know, we've all thought about that, but no, I wouldn't do that. Um, Why not? Because that's like moving Boston Marathon to someplace other than Boston. Uh, yeah. uh, no, it's not. It's the World Championships. They moved you, to 70.3. But you didn't ask me that question. <laughs> there's, 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 two, there's, there's two questions. Number one is, would, I, would Kona be Kona? Number two, would I move the World Championships? Would I move the World Championship designation around? I might do that, maybe. It, it certainly has worked for 70.3, but then there was no history built up around there being this place that's vested with the World Championship. Would I move the World Championship designation for Kona? I I might. I certainly believe... Germany? Oh, well, if you're going to move it, you got to move it all over the place. Mm. S- sure. Yeah. Germany, South Africa, Brazil, Australia. Fortunately, the 70.3 worlds, uh, they started to move that thing around. Before it got entrenched in 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 uh, Clearwater, yeah, uh, or Tampa, which was good because that was a horrible place for a race. Well, it's a horrible place for a race when you have a big when you have a, a parity of field. You know, the more good people you get in one spot, the more you need topography to break them up. And so, wind, hills, yeah. So you need alligators in the swim, but exactly yeah. right, perfect. So. So the perfect place to put 70.3 Worlds is where they have it, is which is in Nice. That's a great place for it. Um, I don't do long races anymore, but even that mm. kind of has me interested. Mm. Um, look, is the person who wins Kona the best Ironman racer in the world? Nope. It's the best Ironman racer in Kona. On that day? On that day. Yeah. 
So, you know, I promise you, if you'd have had that race in uh, Nice, then, yeah, Mark would have won it a bunch <laughs> because he won Nice a whole bunch. But, you know, Molina would have done better. You know, there's other races, other athletes that would have done better because it's no sin to not be a great heat athlete. Yeah. I think that's, you know, over the years, it's really, well, clearly it's favored people, you know, who, who can do well in the heat. I mean, yeah. Molina, for example, the one year he won, I mean, he, he managed to, you know, a combination of the field and opportunity, and, and there he was. But, you know, in a strong year when, you know, the Daves and the Scots show up and yeah. he's, you know, fighting for top five. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mark was clearly the best triathlete of his generation. So I don't care where you put it, Mark was going to win it. But um, but as you move that thing around, uh, yeah, you know, like a, uh, Van Honacker, you know, that there's a guy who could have, should have won a race once or twice, but I just don't think Kona was really suited for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of athletes like that. Yeah. You know, McCormack finally figured it out, but yeah. that wasn't that wasn't where he was his best. You know, over the years, you know, Kenny Glaw maybe should have won it. Rob Burrell should have won it. You know, there's a number of people. Uh, I'm 50-50 on whether that ship has just sailed yeah. on moving the world championship out of Kona. Would people still go to Kona? You know, I mean, I have to assume you're still going to fill the field up at least. Um if that would champion. that would be a fascinating I mean it would be high stakes of course but I mean it's I've never been there but from what I hear not I mean it's magical and it's got all that but it's not the most pleasant place to spend you know 10 12 13 hours yeah it just depends I mean it's my suspicion is that that race would always fill and so if it would always fill if you'd always have 2000 people or thereabouts yeah. at that race could you could you move the world championship designation around? Yes. That's one of those things that I just don't, you know, I would really have to think about it, study it. And and I and I haven't I don't have any skin in that game. Mm-hmm. So, I just don't feel I just don't feel like unless I really have skin in it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's appropriate for me somehow to come down hard on this is what Iron Man should do with its property. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, but we all I have mean, opinions, but yeah. you know, some some opinions are held more in in esteem than others, right? So, yeah, I just I just don't I feel like it's Iron Man's property and I I trust Andrew Messick to run that brand. Uh, he is a friend of mine. He's an honorable guy. Um and I trust him. And and I and what I trust mostly is I trust that Whatever my opinion is about what should happen with that, and whatever his opinion is, his is better than mine. <laughs> Skin in the game. Yeah. yeah. Well, and he lives it every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm spectating it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the guy from the cheap seats. <laughs> but you know, here's a, here's, here's a question that I would ask. Here's what I would ask Andrew. I've never asked him this. Mm-hmm. I just saw him over the weekend, but I've never asked him this. If you knew that Kona. Would would be like Boston, where people would still keep flocking, yeah. regardless. Would you move the world championship mm-hmm. around? I, w- I would be interested to know what his answer is yeah. to that. 
let's talk about unfinished business. You've done a lot. Um, you still have this incredible fire burning. Uh, you were on the phone making deals, making connections. Uh, what unfinished business do you have on the horizon? What's, what's getting you really jacked? Well, I have no unfinished business in, in terms of business. Um, I, uh, I, want to, I want to run the John Muir Trail. Just me and maybe one of these dogs. So I want to do that. Uh, so I have, th- I have personal things like that I want to do. Other than that, I, uh, there's not. I, I don't have any business ambitions. I'd like to. I just. I'd like to calibrate my business so that I spend the right amount of time doing what I'm doing and the right amount of time uh, continuing to you know ride my bike and swim and stuff like that. I mean, basically, what we all want to do. Yeah, more of it or more yeah. balance and um, opportunities. Yeah. Other than that. I don't care. I, you know, if I'm people my age, they start to think about relevance. You know, like I need to be, I need to remain relevant. <laughs> um, I would like to give absolutely irrelevance. <laughs> uh, like just be, being completely irrelevant. I'd like to give that a crack. Give that a try. I would like to not be relevant for a year and just see how I take to that. You know? You'll have to learn from someone. It sounds like you well, might be... Like you see a... these people that like they retire from being professional athletes. Yeah. And I, what really bothers them, I think, is they're irrelevant. Like they're not relevant any longer. It's, it's not that they miss playing the game as much as they miss just being relevant. I'd like to give irrelevance a try mm, yeah. and see how, <laughs> see how that suits me. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I would freak out. Maybe it's nobody loves me. Ah, you know, maybe that phone is awfully quiet. Yeah, <laughs> but until you know, people. Well, I wish I wasn't. You know, like famous movie star. I wish I wasn't famous. Mm-hmm. Well, but then the people who aren't that when they lose when they lose it, they're not relevant. They want to get back in the game. So I don't know. Uh, you asked me what I'm afraid of, and I yeah. said, well, you know, losing my legs. You know, I would be, mm. you know, irrelevance. Does that? Am I? I am afraid. I'm a little bit afraid that I might be really struck hard by being irrelevant. Mm. And I'm not quite irrelevant yet. Mm. And so I don't know. Do you uh, think that's your motivator? Because, I mean, at a time, you're 62, a lot of people are kind of winding things down, buying the Winnebago's and heading off to the, you know, greener pastures. You're, you're, still, you're still hustling. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's just because I just... There's stuff left to do, you know, uh, like I'm the president of our industry association. You either hustle or you don't be president. Uh, there's really no, there's not, there's no being president, but not hustling. You can't do that. But that was a volunteer gig. I mean, you didn't have to be the president. That's true. Well, now we're getting into stuff, which, which is sort of behind the curtain, right? Mm. There's, um, uh, there's, there's confidences I don't want to betray. But um, uh, let's just say that uh, I'm happy to serve as being the president. I won't be happy to serve being the president for the next 10 years because I don't want to be this busy, yeah. you know. But but I'm happy to be the president now. Mm. So, yeah, I just, you know, we all want to find balance. But, you know, we're at all 10 today. And were I to become, you know, entirely forgotten and irrelevant in the sport of triathlon... And freeing me up to just ride my bike and stuff like mm-hmm. that, would I be happy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 
Then give it a try. Yeah. Three more questions, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll sail into the sunset. First of all, it's a question I ask a lot of people. Um, and as much as you say you're a runner, you're also uh, kind of a cyclist guy, having done it for a while and been responsible for some of the innovations. So fill in the blank here. Um, when I'm on my bike, I feel what? Uh, bored more than I would like, and which is why... Unexpected answer. What? Yeah. Um, which is why I'm, I'm happy that we have some of the new technologies huh. that we do. Um, or anxious... Because I feel like I should be doing something more productive. Um, and so, restless, restless soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have, a, I have an opinion. I have a, I have a sense. I have a notion that there's something about gravel that's similar to Zwift, for example. Zwift, Ruby, platforms like that. And that is the constant feedback. If I go out for, for you know, a 60-mile road ride that's, you know, pretty, you know, just flat topography... I don't, nowadays I don't get enough feedback from the road. You know, I don't have to make adjustments. I don't have to steer, you know. You must have a hell of a good bike fit. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I better. Um, on variable terrain, um, I have more, I have more feedback, you know, coming up through the bike. Mm. Um, if you're on a platform like Ruby or Zwift or, or something like that, you have a lot of feedback coming back at you. From the game. So riders, watts, heart rates. Well, just, you know, your people, you know, whatever it is, you, the reactions that you need to make uh, during the course of, of a ride, mm. you know, you're getting dropped or, you mm. know, whatever. I guess I'm just impatient. Uh, so when, when I'm riding, I enjoy riding less for the sake of riding and more for the sake of what I'm riding through. When I was younger, just riding. I remember the first time I ever rode a bike. And it was one of the most, it was the most thrilling bike ride of my life. How from, old? From then till I was maybe seven. And I got up in the morning. I was always been an early riser. Went outside and my neighbor's bike. Uh, and I'd never been able to ride a bike. Like I, just you know, confidence or finance? Yeah, just fell over. Okay, didn't, didn't okay. Ride couldn't a ride a bike couldn't as ride opposed a bike. to permission or, yeah. okay. I mean, I'm seven. Or six, or something like that. Yeah, not four. Right, right. Like difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is my neighbor's bike, mm -hmm. neighbor kid's bike, outside, next, you know, up against it. Ah, well. <laughs> so I took his bike, <laughs> and I got on it, and I started pedaling, and I found out that I could stay up. Mm. I could ride a bike. Uh -huh. I didn't know I could ride a bike. <laughs> and so I rode around for, you know, five minutes, mm. and then I put his bike back. And it was the most thrilling ride of my life. Uh -huh. To this day. To this day. To this day. Um, however, I need more now. <laughs> Gateway. Uh, I, need, um, I need not just to be riding. Yeah. For example, before uh, everything now that we have available to us, I would not ride a stationary bike if it was the... I would rather do push-ups than ride a stationary bike. Up until Zwift or Up what? until, yeah. Up until Zwift, Ruby... Trainer so CompuTrainer didn't no. capture you. No. no, didn't do it for me. Mm. I mean, we all had, we had, we've had CompuTrainers all you know since 1992 or one or something. But so we had them, <laughs> but wasn't quite enough. So you know, but watching you know Greg win the '89 Tour again, yeah. uh, nah. So uh, when I ride a bike, there's got to be some feedback. Love it when I'm doing well. 
you know, when I'm writing. But see, the thing about it, the older you get, the, the fewer PRs you set. <laughs> yes. It's kind of going in the other direction. <laughs> so there's got to be something else available. And the, the thing that's available, I guess, is going new places or being able to go places you couldn't because you just got a hold of some tech that allowed you to ride somewhere that you couldn't ride before. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. Final question. If you could be an animal mm. other than the human that you are now, huh. the dynamic human that you are right now, what would you be and why? Well, I As we be, sit next to your yeah, I want to, bear. I, I want to be a dog because yeah. then I could go to dog heaven. I'm hoping, I go to, I'm, hoping <laughs> I'm one of the humans that gets to go to dog heaven. <laughs> well, you'll have lots of company because you've made a lot of heavenly dogs here very happy. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, but uh, I think my, my the I'll tell you the animal that I admire the most is 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 the coyote, because we have a whole bunch of them out here. So and over my, here they're called coyotes. Some people call them coyotes, but coyotes, yeah. Coyote. Yeah. Um, because I don't see how it is they even figure out how. Guy, like I, I mean, we're in a desert here. Yeah. I don't know what they drink. <laughs> But they still live. Yeah, they're here. They're, they're here. here. Huh. Um, so, yeah, I'm a canine yeah. type guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wolves, coyotes, dogs. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I roll. Pack guy? Uh, I don't know. Uh, at intervals. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, like, for example, this these dogs of mine, if, I, if I'm going to go running, if they're ready, and, and I, I just wish... I was as ready to train all the time <laughs> as they are. If I went running five times a day, mm. they'd be ready to go they'd be running. ready. <laughs> yeah. And so there's something they got that I wish I had. I admire these guys. And we all have our youth still. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I don't feel like I'm still... I don't think I've really changed very much since I was about, now. I don't know, 15, 17, something like that. Like changed in what way? I'm still 17. Okay. <laughs> I'm just a 17-year-old, a 62-year-old. Yeah, so... Okay, well, on that note, thank you so much for spending so much time with us, inviting you to the ranch here uh, on Bob's Gap Road. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, I want to thank you from, uh, you know, Canadian triathlon community for doing what you have and, you know, the surprises you're probably going to have in store for us in the next few years. Well, I love Canadians, and I love the BC folk. <laughs> and I love BC, yeah, it's a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, Vancouver's my favorite city in the world. So you bet. It's been my pleasure. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and insurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the triathlon season quickly approaching, it's time to get into motion. TriJoy can help. With a low client-to-coach ratio, we can give you the attention you deserve to achieve your potential. That's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Be listening next time when co-host Kevin Watt interviews the guy responsible for BC's Super Week Cycling Series and now the Fraser Valley Grand Fondo. Mark Ernstein will be our guest. For all of us at FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening. <laughs>